Hi, my name is Joe, and I want to tell you about my podcast that I host called Still Unknown, an unsolved true crime podcast. Every other Monday, I talk about a different unsolved murder, disappearance, or unexplained death in hopes that telling these stories will someday bring out the answers that these cases are desperately seeking. You can listen to Still Unknown wherever you are listening to this podcast here. And who knows, you may even be able to reveal the final pieces to help solve a case. So subscribe now to Still Unknown to hear a new case every other Monday, and let's try to solve some mysteries together. Hey, Forensic File fans. Welcome to Forensic Miles. Miles here. What's up, y'all? It's Sean. And we are so excited that you guys are here for our episode number 11. We are so excited that you guys have stuck with us, and we've got so many more exciting episodes on their way. Um, We wanted to do something a little bit different this morning and introduce you to our puppies, who I'm sure you guys have been hearing. We have two puppies. We've got a husky named Nola, and she's the one who likes to really contribute to our stories and make her opinions known. She's vocal. She's very, very very vocal. (laughs) If you've got a husky, I think you know how vocal they can be. Um, And then we have another dog named Mo, and he is a Yorkie Pomeranian, and he is the one that usually makes, I don't know... Silly little noise. A little background noise. Little background noise. Little pitter-patters is what we call them. Um, But yeah, like I said, we are so excited that you guys are here, and I hope you enjoyed our 11th episode. Katarina Ann Frischley was described as a happy, strong, hard-headed woman. She was close to her family, and she talked to her mom on the phone almost every day. She graduated from Florida State University in 2002 from the College of Business in the Department of Risk Management and Insurance. She was just kind of like starting her life. She had just ended a four-year-long relationship, and she was learning to live independently, Sean, you and I are kind of in this stage of our life where we're just starting to kind of make some money that we can go on little adventures and do what we want to do. So it's like a really exciting time time of your life. Time of your time of our lives. Time of our lives where you're you're independent for the first time really. Her first job out of college was working at a Florida insurance company called Farm Bureau as an adjuster. And Sean, you work in insurance. Can you kind of tell us what an adjuster does? Yeah, adjusters, like, they're going to work in claims and, like, investigate it. So they're going to talk to the parties involved, uh, check out the property, police reports. They're going to get down to the bottom of it. So they're doing the investigation. Unfortunately, this job would actually put her in a situation that would lead to her death. 
In 2004, Florida was hit by four hurricanes within six weeks. And according to forensic files, the damages was was more than a million dollars. Um, insurance companies were obviously flooded with requests and were constantly setting adjusters out to assess the damages on properties. On Friday, November 12, 2004, Katie was one of the adjusters that was sent out. She was sent to a property to assess the damage and adjust a claim of some roof damage on the house. Um, She was told that no one would be present at the home, but she decided that she could go anyway because she was just assessing the damage on the outside of the property. Um, And she didn't really have to go inside the house to to do that. People don't like that. Really? Yeah. What do you mean? People get mad. like If you go when they're not. Yeah, like, but yeah, people get really weird about their property and like somebody just out there like taking pictures of their house or in this case like on their roof. Right. But people are gonna get mad. So. Hmm. I wouldn't have thought of that actually. Anyway, that was the last time anybody saw Katie. Later that night. After Katie had missed dinner plans with some friends and nobody had heard from her, her family began to worry. One of her friends had a key to her apartment, so she decided to go and check on things. Everything in the apartment seemed to be in order, except for one thing. Katie was nowhere to be found. The friend expressed concern to Katie's parents, and on Saturday morning, her parents reported her missing. Police immediately put out an all-pull all points bulletin for Katie's maroon car and contacted her employee to see, you know, where her last appointment had been. Her parents found out that Katie had been sent to a home in Tampa, Tampa's Sulphur Springs, which at the time was an extremely rough neighborhood. I'm actually not sure how it is today because this happened in 2004, but in 2004, it was described as, as a pretty rough neighborhood. One of her coworkers said that Katie had had trouble finding the property, so she actually called in to work, and this co- coworker gave her directions to the property. And when she arrived, Katie said that somebody was walking up towards her car, so she felt that she was in the right place, said, thank you for the directions, I'll talk to you later, or whatever, hung up the phone. Once Katie, Katie Katie's parents found out about this information, Um, They kind of took it upon themselves and drove to the property and started to ask questions. When they knocked on the door, they were met by the renters of the property, Jason Funk and his girlfriend, Pamela Heinz, Heinz, I believe is how you pronounce her name. They had just moved into the property three days before Katie had gone missing. Hmm. They told them that they didn't see Katie because they actually hadn't been home the day before. And that as far as they knew, there was no leak in the home at all. So obviously there is a lot of concern here because if there was no leak, does that mean that going out there in the first place? Right. Had somebody set her up? Wow. I'll be honest with you, Sean. This is something that I've actually thought about before because you yourself go out and to people's properties and talk to them. I mean, you usually have an appointment with a person to talk to them, but still you go out to people's property. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, you never really know until you get there and, knock on the door but yeah most of the time I people know I'm coming so like I've got appointments those days does it ever like scare you that you're going to people's homes um not really 
most of the time I've like I already know who I'm going to meet, so mm, I don't know. There have been times though where I've felt like pretty uncomfortable and like almost just like turned turned around. Yeah. I was like, nah, I'm I'm going home. Wow. Yeah, definitely trust I'll do, your I'll instincts. Do this. The search, however, was still a success. They ended up finding Katie's car parked only a mile away from the house, and the keys had just been kind of thrown on the seat. Her parents said that they were ter- like terrified. Their first thought was that Katie was actually in the trunk of the car. I couldn't even imagine that, like them being the ones to find this car and immediately thinking that their daughter is in the trunk. Yeah. That's terrifying. I think I just saw a Bones episode like that. Yeah, probably. Anyway, investigators come and they open the trunk, but Katie's body is not there. They find skin cells on the steering wheel, and they later turn out to be um, DNA from Katie and an unknown DNA, which is possibly the killer or whoever took Katie. They also find a white envelope in the driver's side door. They find Katie's purse in the trunk with no money in it. So they know that something is wrong and they obviously think the worst. They know that now that Katie was not killed or kidnapped from the car, um, the killer must have driven the car to this location. They have reports that a white man had left the car in the lot. the people that reported this said that the man had pulled up, opened the trunk, threw the keys in the car, and walked away. So that's not something that you normally see. That's kind of a suspicious thing to see, I would think. Investigators decide to search between the home where she was last known to be and the parking lot where the car was dumped to see if they could find any more clues. And they do. They searched the shores of a nearby river and they saw something a white bra floating in the water. It didn't take long for them to find Katie herself floating in the river about a hundred feet from the house that she had last been to. At the time that she was found, she had been in the water for approximately 30 hours and it was assumed that Katie had been sexually assaulted. However, later a rape test came back um, as inconclusive. How many days um, had she been gone at this point? Well, she'd only been in the water 30 hours, um, and she was reported missing, like, the next morning of her being gone. So people immediately realized that that she was gone Friday night because she missed events, and then her parents reported her missing the next morning. Mm -hmm. So I have to believe that whatever happened to her happened to her right after she had assessed the house. Yeah. She had died by blunt force injuries to the back of her head and not by drowning as was originally assumed because, you know, she was found in the water. However, they couldn't be 100% sure that Katie was actually dead when she was put in the water. Um, so that's that's a really heartbreaking thought to have. Yeah, that's terrible. She had a very distinct mark on her head. It's kind of a spiral shape. Um, I'll post a picture on the Instagram. Um, they felt like this injury could be matched to a murder weapon. They felt really strongly of this um, and encouraged investigators to look for something that could have been a murder weapon. 
Investigators felt like the murder must have taken place at the home that Katie had been assessing. I mean, we know that Katie had arrived at this house somewhere around 2 p.m. We know that because she herself told her coworker that she had arrived there. So they felt very confident that something must have happened while she was at that home, especially because she was found only 100 feet away. Yeah. So they went back to speak with the tenants, Jason and Pamela. I personally can't imagine how I would act or react to have investigators come to my house and ask me about a murder. Like, I think I would be totally stunned, not know what to say, what to do, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I think Jason and Pamela were acting sort of similar. In the Forensic Files episode, Jason is interviewed and he said, you know, I'm kind of drawing a blank on my emotional state at the time, but I know I wasn't nearly as anxious as my girlfriend is. I'm more of a realist person. Whatever's going to happen is out of my control. It's out of her control. So just relax and take its course. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I feel like that might be an interesting way to act when investigators show up at your house to ask you about a murder that happened a hundred feet away from your home. Yeah. I don't know that I would say what happens gonna happen well i think what he's saying is like if the murder happened on his property then it happened on his property but honestly i have no idea what he's trying to say um he also mentioned um he said if i had been at the at the home that day and not on my jet ski who's to say i couldn't have prevented this from happening so you know some interesting comments but basically what jason and pamela told investigators is that they weren't home, they had no idea what what happened or if anything happened at the home, and they really had nothing to say to them. And they just moved in, though, so they're not like the owner. No, they're just renters. But speaking of the landlord, um, Katie's father, Jeff, decides to go and interview him. The owner said that there was a leak in the in the roof and that he had actually called Katie out to the home to inspect it. Um, but he had never told the tenants that he had made that call. And Jeff, you know, he felt a little bit off about him. Unfortunately for the investigation, but fortunately for the landlord, I suppose, he had a very strong alibi, so they were able to kind of rule him out and move on to new suspects. They decided to check Katie's credit card statements, um, you know, because they were missing out of her purse. Every, You know, her purse was there, but everything else was taken. Um, and they caught a break. They went to each location that the credit card had been used. So there were four attempts on the credit card and only one went through. So they checked all four of them. Um, but it was the one store that the credit card went through that they were really able to get their biggest clue. The clerk said that the man had mentioned that the card was his girlfriend's. But here's the kicker. Instead of signing Katie's name, this idiot signs his own name on the receipt. <laughs> I am not, I like, you can't make this stuff up. And guess who it is? Uh, Jason. It's Jason Funk. My favorite quote from this entire episode of Forensic Files came from an investigator, and he said this. We were almost shocked at his stupidity. I can't even recollect what he was thinking or how he thought he could get away with something so obviously stupid. And honestly, I mean, he he just must not have been thinking 
or maybe he was thinking and I just, I don't get it. I don't know. Upon the, upon more inspection of the backyard of the home, they found a fire pit and inside the fire pit, they found bits of carpet and a belt that later, or it was a belt buckle that later ended up being Katie's. Um, and I'll post that, the picture of that on the Instagram. When they got into the home, they found blood spatter in many places, including on the ceilings, on the floor, on the walls. Um, it was also stated that they actually found 19 marijuana plants in the home. So Jason had been turning his home into like a grow house. And he's just renting there. He's just renting. He's only been there three days and he's got 19 marijuana plants. That's crazy. So he was like, he thought she was like a cop or something. Well, I mean, I have no idea what was going through her head. There are a couple thoughts that we have later on in the episode that that we'll talk about, but I I don't know. Um, So when they had originally interviewed Jason, he had been very clear. And he said that he had never met Katie, didn't know who she was, had never seen her before. But as they're looking through the house... Guess what they find? Something in Katie's. Yep. They find one of Katie's business cards hidden on a shelf in the kitchen. Oh. I mean, come on, Jason. Seriously. So after, you know, getting the suggestion from the coroner about looking for the murder weapon, they decide to kind of look through the house and see if they can find something that could have killed Katie. And they do. They find a motorcycle muffler that had been sanitized to the point where there were absolutely no fingerprints on it. And I'll post this. I'm not exactly sure what kind of material motorcycle mufflers are made out of, but they're shiny metal. Like you're going to have fingerprints on there. Like if you pick it up, you're going to see them on there. And there were absolutely none. So, you know, he had he had cleaned it really well. The bracket attached to the muffler matched perfectly with the injuries on Katie's head. So they determined that this motorcycle muffler was the murder weapon in this case. While talking to Jason, they noticed that on his shoes, there was blood spatter. And after later analysis, it turned out to be human. And later it turned out to be Katie's blood. This guy really is just like that dumb. Yeah. Yep. But it gets better. They also tested the envelope that was in the car, and they found two sets of fingerprints. One matched Katie, and the other was Jason's. So there was really, I mean, this evidence is stacking up against him. There's really nothing that he could have said. Um, Prosecutors found that Jason actually had had prior assaults, um, charges towards women. Um, He had kind of had violence towards women before. Um, Jason had lost his jobs, lost his job two days earlier, and the couple had spent all of their money on the security deposit for the home. So they really believed that this murder was motivated by greed and, and assuming that she would have some money that, that he could have. They believe that, that Jason was actually the person that had approached her car. Um, but obviously You know, there's no way to to really know how he got her into the home. In an article published by Claims Magazine in 2009, they made a few suggestions. Maybe Katie had to go to the bathroom, or maybe Jason offered her something to drink, 
Or maybe she realized that the damage to the house was worse than she expected and needed to go inside to look. Um, Also, there is the suggestion that you made. Maybe when Katie was in the house, she saw the marijuana plants and he felt that she would tell the landlord and he was in no position to be kicked out of a home because he had no money for another deposit. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll really never know. I know that there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities how that could have gone down, but exactly. And he, to this day is still claims his innocence. So he hasn't told anybody the motive or, or, you know, what really happened in that house. And they, they only questioned Jason. They didn't, um, they didn't talk to his, Pamela? His, yeah, Pamela at all. No. And I didn't actually see any more mentions of Pamela except, you know, these couple of articles. I did see somewhere, and this was in a comment, so it's by no means fact, but they mentioned that she actually had an alibi and that she had been at work when this had happened. So I'm not sure. But prosecutors believe that he dragged her body out the back door of the house and directly into the river because the river was kind of like in the backyard of his home. And it was really protected by like foliage and trees. So nobody would have seen him. Yeah, Like it was kind of like the perfect place to do something like this. I I don't know. Jason ended up pleading guilty to avoid the death penalty and was convicted of murder. He was sentenced to life without parole. Like I said, Jason continues to deny his involvement in this case. Um, The Forensic Files episode came out in 2007, so four years after the murder, and, you know, he still claims he's got no idea. But the forensics obviously prove the exact opposite. He had no idea how he got her credit card and used it. None. None. And I would highly suggest that you guys all go and listen to this episode, or sorry, watch this episode of Forensic Files, because it is absolutely haunting to see Jason, you know, reading these quotes. I'm going to reread you these quotes now that you know that he's the killer, but he's, you know, a clean cut guy. Like, he's not terrible looking. I'm sure that when she saw him, she felt safe. He's got that kind of a face. And when he's saying these things, he's got this little smirk on his face that like, I'm sure he has no control over, but it is haunting. It is absolutely haunting. So I'm going to read you the quotes again. So the first thing he said was, you know, I'm kind of drawing a blank on my emotional state at the time. Mm -hmm. Really? But I know I wasn't nearly as anxious as my girlfriend was. I'm more of a realist person. Whatever's going to happen is out of my control, out of her control. Just relax and let it take its course. That's just like admission right there. Yep. And then the other one that he said is, if I had been home that day and not on my jet ski, who's to say I couldn't have prevented this from happening? So, I mean, this is a smug guy right here. What did what did Michael Scott say? Smudge. smudge. There's his smudgeness. Smudgeness. There's his smudgeness. Katie's death or murder really 
shocked more than just her family and friends. It really shocked the entire adjuster community. They realized that they might need to brush up on their safety practices and falling off the roof might not be their biggest concern. Most of the articles that I found on this case, um, you know, that came out after the Forensic Files episode were insurance related and on insurance websites. I even, insurance websites, I even like had to sign up for an insurance adjuster like employee website in order to get one of them. In one article I found, which was published by the American Association of Public Insurance Adjusters in 2012, the author was shocked to find to find out that at the time of the murder, there was no manual guiding adjusters on how to protect themselves. The company that Katie had worked for hadn't provided her with any training in self-defense or even things to be cautious about when on somebody else's property, which is honestly terrifying. Yeah, I mean... It's tough, dude. You're sending people out that might not have been out before or might have very little experience, and you're sending them out to people's, you know, properties. This is their home. They get defensive and protective, and there could be something like 19 marijuana plants in the house that they don't want people to see, especially when they are – it's a tenant. And not the homeowner. I mean, because Jason, and it is it had it is believed that Jason truly did not expect Katie to be there that day. Like he really didn't know. The landlord had not told him, and that is upsetting. I mean, I know when we lived in our apartments, it was upsetting to us when we found out that the handyman was coming by, and we we didn't weren't told that it, yeah. he was coming. Um, so I don't know. I think you know they had to kind of look at a lot of things after this happened. Her mother later stated that Katie, you know, she wasn't a naive woman and she knew how to handle people, but sometimes, you know, you let your guard down. Like I said, he was clean. He was a clean cut guy. Like, I don't know. This could have happened to anybody. Sometimes you just let your guard down without meaning to. You feel safe in situations that maybe aren't so safe. After her death, Katie's family established a scholarship in her name for the College of Business at FSU. And they are actually able to give three scholarships out a year, which is amazing. They also started a foundation in her name that helps grieving families in their time of need. Although I tried to look at their website and it's not up anymore. So I'm not sure if it's still, you know, in action. Anyway, you know, this episode is really important and kind of reminds you that this one hits home some it definitely does i mean you go out to people's properties and i'm sure many people go out to people's properties for their jobs male men male women all of these people have to go on people's properties and that's um i don't know it's just something to think about and something to be cautious and aware about while you're going through your daily life Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And if you are a claims adjuster, I'm sure you are getting better um, instructions now, but they do say that um, whenever you're making an appointment, make sure that it's with the person that's actually living in the house, not with like the landlord, you know, so that way the person is expecting you to be there versus not. I'm not sure. If you're a claims adjuster, let us know, comment in our blog or on our Instagram 
tell us about any updates in the securities or if you've heard this case before um, in your trainings. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. We are doing Tuesdays from now on, not Thursdays. So we'll release another episode next Tuesday. See you guys then. Bye. I also wanted to give a big shout out to my friends at Slay Queens Pod. Um, They are awesome and have been so supportive of me and Sean and our podcast and given us such great advice. So please go and check them out.